Say it again. I had three people up front. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, brother. Jim Festman, let me know. Uh, everybody awake? Everybody all right today? Are you awake? You ready? Okay. Just checking. I need a little extra energy from you this morning. For some reason, I'm not much awake. I don't know what the problem is. Folks, if you'll take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. I want to preach a message. Matter of fact, my records show that I preached from this very passage one year ago to that. Actually, one year ago tomorrow, I preached from this passage on July 8th of last year. And if you look close, your records, if you keep records of when I preached on the passage, you're going to see that four years ago, I preached from this passage. This is one of my favorite pastor scripture to preach on and around Independence Day. And I'll tell you why, because I use this passage of scripture to teach not only, and Independence Day, not only do I get to teach a theological lesson from God's Word, but I get to teach a little bit of a history lesson as well and tie it all together. So again, this is one of my favorite passages to preach this time of year. And I want you to notice, let's start reading verse 31. I want to preach a message entitled, Really Truly Free. Let's start verse 30. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then Jesus, uh, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Well, history tells us it was the summer of 1776. The Second Continental Congress was meeting in Philadelphia at the Pennsylvania House, which was later named Independence Hall. And on June 7th of 1776, a man by the name of Richard Henry Lee of Virginia, he stood and read this resolution. It says, be it resolved, these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. So the die was cast, folks, and on June 11th, 1776, a committee was formed with the express purpose of drafting a document that would formally sever the ties of the colonies with Great Britain. On July 1st, Congress reconvened, and the following day, the Lee Resolution uh, for Independence was adopted by 12 of the 13 colonies. Now, immediately after the resolutions were adopted, Congress began to consider the declaration drawn up by the committee. And then late on the afternoon of July 4th, 1776, the document that we know as the Declaration of Independence was officially adopted and church bells began to ring out over the city of Philadelphia. Now, maybe it's been a while since you've heard these, but listen to these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, 
liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then these concluding words. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor. And then 56 American heroes signed the Declaration of Independence, and most of them paid for that signature with their lives or their fortunes or both. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, I love America. I hope you do as well. I'm proud to be an American. I'm grateful to be an American. I love America, but I do not love everything about America today. I love America and what she is, but I don't like and don't love what she has become. You've heard me say this before, but way too many times over the years, the last 20-something, 30 years, many politicians in our country, they have disappointed me. I mean, the decisions they have made has greatly distressed me. Uh, I'm going to tell you, the political mindset and the trend of that uh, politically correct mindset in our country has disturbed me tremendously. Some of the decisions that our Supreme Court justices have made over the past 25 years, they have, uh, they have also disturbed and distressed me. And then I want to tell you the moral freefall that our country's in and liberalism that has invaded our churches has disgusted me to no end. In spite of all its problems, I love my country. I'm patriotic. Uh, I am a patriotic American. I, I still get a lump in my throat when the flag is unfurled, when the star-spangled banner is played. When I see a young man or woman in uniform, I still straighten up with a sense of pride, respect, and gratitude for what they've done. And, you know, speaking of our flag, let me just say this. When it comes to the American flag, I'm proud to stand, take off my hat, put my hand over my heart, and say the Pledge of Allegiance or sing the National Anthem. And I don't care who that offends. You know, I guess I could put it, I heard one old preacher put it this way. He said, I am an old-fashioned, gun-toting, flag-waving, beef and bacon-eating, red-blooded American. That's me. Folks, I still believe we have the greatest nation on earth. It's a nation that exemplifies and illustrates freedom to the whole world. And my prayer is that God continues to allow us to be that nation. Now, folks, speaking of freedom, and of course, Thursday being Independence Day, I want to talk to you about freedom. Not just national freedom that I've been talking about, but I want to talk to you about personal freedom as well. I want to focus nationally, but I want to focus spiritually. Now, we know that our nation considers July 4th, 1776, our National Day of Independence. As for me, as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, my personal date of independence was February the 9th, 1984. That was the day I was set free by God's glorious and wonderful grace. That was the day when I received the salvation that God offers through Jesus Christ. That's my independence day. You know, it's one thing to live in a nation where there's freedom. It's another thing to actually live in freedom each and every day. It's one thing to celebrate a national day of independence. It's another to celebrate a spiritual day of independence. Now, one of the reasons, of the many reasons, that I love John chapter 8, it's been referred to as a chapter of contrast 
and conflicts. Because verses 1 through 11, you have grace versus law. Verses 12 through 20, you have light versus darkness. Verses 21 through 30, you have life versus death. And then the verses we're in today, verses 31 through 47, you have freedom versus bondage. And in this chapter alone, Jesus forgives a woman who's taken in adultery. Jesus encourages those who are lost in darkness to look to him as a light of the world. Jesus speaks to the Jews around him and tells them that God the Father has sent him. He tells them of his death and tells them that they will die in their sins if they don't trust him, if they don't come to him. He said he was from above and they were from beneath. Now, through all of this in chapter 8 that Jesus has been talking about, he is reminding us what it means to be really and truly free. So the first point I want you to see and call your attention to is the freedom that Jesus talks about being rejected. Look at verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus is talking about spiritual freedom, spiritual liberty. And the indication here is that there are those who lack this spiritual freedom, who lack this spiritual liberty. Here's a verse, Romans 8, 2. If you don't already have it written down here somewhere, write it down. Romans 8, 2 talks about the law of sin and death. Now, the law of sin and death is a law which rejects the freedom which Jesus Christ speaks of here and the freedom that Jesus Christ offers. And Jesus sheds light on the law as well as the lies that reject that freedom. Because he says that, that those who reject that freedom, they are bound by sin. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Look at that statement that Jesus makes. Look at it very carefully. He speaks to those who commit sin. The word commit or the phrase commit sin in the Greek is actually one word. And it means a continual or prolonged action. So what Jesus is talking about is not a one-time act of sin, but a continual committing a habitual lifestyle of sin. Also notice carefully what Jesus says about committing sin. He tells us that one is enslaved by that sin. Jesus spoke several times of the servant of sin in this passage. The word servant, there's no way around it. The word servant speaks of a slave. So Jesus was saying there are those who are slaves to sin. They're in bondage to sin. Understand, friend, the committing of sin leads to one being chained by sin. As I heard one preacher say one time, the law's breaking leads to sin's bondage. So there are those who are bound by sin. And those who are bound by sin are also blinded by sin. Verse 32, again. Jesus spoke of the truth, set the person free, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The word free that Jesus uses here, it speaks to someone that's been liberated, that's actually set free from actual bondage. That's why in verse 33, the Jews answered him and said, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? They, in other words, they were saying, listen, we have always been free. We've never been in bondage to anybody. It's true, our ancestors, they were in bondage in Egypt, but none of us have ever been in bondage. We are free. Then notice what Jesus says, verse 34. He explained it, that he was talking about spiritual bondage. He says, uh, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Now, here's the whole point that I want you to get, and I want you to get it in your heart this morning. You say, I've heard this message, I've heard this passage before. Don't care. This is what I want you to get in your heart. This is what you need to hear. These folks were in bondage, and they didn't even realize it. 
They were bound, but they were blind to the fact that they were bound in sin. They were not only bound, but blinded. They thought they were free when in reality they're in spiritual slavery. Here is the great tragedy, friend. People are lost, and they don't even realize it. People are slaves to sin, and all the time they're thinking they're free. Now, I'm sure there were many people that went out this past week because uh, the 4th, you know, holiday was on a Thursday. I'm sure they went out and, woo, they partied it up Thursday night or Friday or maybe last night, and their attitude was this. I am free to live the way I want, to do what I want, to go where I want. And the whole time, they're actually a slave to sin. It's like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. They are blinded by the God of this world. And here's even a greater tragedy, and I want you to hold tight on this. There are many Christians who have been saved from the penalty of sin, but they're still bound and blinded by the power of sin. Say, what do you mean, preacher? They're bound and blinded by the same old habits, the same old addictions, and the same old vices. Why? Because they have failed to appropriate by faith the freedom that Jesus Christ has given them. They've allowed sin to continue to rule in their life and in their hearts. In fact, do you know the hardest people in the world convinced of repentance are? You know who they are? Christian people. Those who sit in the church pew every Sunday morning, every Sunday night. Those who are involved in church all the time. A lost man may not repent, but I'm going to tell you, in his heart, he realizes he needs to, even though he won't repent. However, a person who sits in the pew all the time, comes to church, the Christian that's still bound in their hang-ups and habits, they think everything's fine. It's not. They're bound by sin. You say, why would you say that? Well, do you deal with the same old sin day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year? Then you're bound in that sin, and you need to break free. I just don't know how. Well, why don't you give it to Jesus? You can't break free, but Jesus is the burden bearer and the bondage breaker. If you'll turn it over to him, you can break free from that sin. I'm talking about a Christian. They've been saved for a number of years, but they're living defeated lives because they're allowing that same old sin to control them. What's the problem? Well, they're bound, they're blinded. They're walking around with chains on their soul and blinders on their eyes. They have allowed... Now, if this is you, I want you to know I'm telling you this because I love you. I want you to be free. I want you to, to experience the freedom that Jesus Christ brings. People who are still bound in that sin, they have allowed the law of sin to discard the freedom that's available to them in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me put it another way. You've heard this verse before, Romans 6, verse 16. Paul's telling folks, he, sa- he says to them, No, you're not. That to whomsoever you yield yourself servants to obey, you are his servant who you obey. Whether sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. You know what Paul was saying? As a believer, Jesus Christ has set you free. If you're bound by sin, it's because you choose to be so. Jesus speaks not only freedom rejected, but freedom recognized. The words that he uses here uh, tells us that people are slaves to sin, but also they can be set free. Aren't you glad you can be set free from sin? That you don't have to be in bondage to it? You can be really, truly set free. So how can we, uh, or let's, let's ask this way. 
How can freedom be recognized? Or a better way to put it is, who or will, folks, recognize freedom? Who will do that? Who can or will recognize freedom? Let me read you what a Scottish theologian named William Barclay said. He said, sometimes when a man is rebuked for doing something wrong or warned against such a thing, his answer is, surely I can do what I like with my own life. But the point is that man, the man who sins, does not do what he likes. Now listen to this. He does what sin likes. A man can let a habit get such a grip on him that he cannot break it. He can allow a pleasure to master him so completely that he cannot do without it. He can let some self-indulgence so dominate him that he's absolutely powerless to break away from it. He is a slave to the habits, to the self-indulgences, to the wrong pleasures, to the sin which has mastered him. Fred, this is precisely the point Jesus is making. No man who sins, lives in habitual sin, can ever be said to be really, truly free. Notice the phrase, verse 32 and 36, that phrase, make you free. That's one word in the Greek, and it means liberated or set free from bondage. Bought out of the slave market is what it means. Jesus was saying that a life of freedom is a liberated life. Now listen to me. That which provides freedom is the vehicle of truth. Again, notice verse 32. Jesus says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let me explain something to you here. It's not just truth that provides freedom. It's knowledge of the truth that provides freedom. Awareness of truth is only going to leave you bound in sin. But listen to me. When you're aware and appropriate the truth, then you're set free. I say that because churches today are filled with people who are aware of the truth, yet they continue to be bound, blinded, and burdened by sin. But why? Because they've not appropriated and applied that truth to their lives. A lost man, he may know the truth, and when he knows the truth, then he is freed from the penalty of sin because Jesus paid it all. But listen to me, Christian. A Christian, a saved person who has come to know the truth, and I'm talking about knowing the truth in a deeper way, they understand they're set free from the power of sin because of the empty tomb. Because we have a risen Savior. And praise God, there are times when I think back on my own Independence Day. It was the day when Jesus delivered me from, from sin bondage. He broke the chain that kept me confined and bound. And some of you here this morning, you need to hear what I'm saying, and you need to hear it like you've heard it for just the first time, and I know you haven't. You heard me tell you this many times over the last six years, but I want you to listen real close to me. You need to hear this. The day of my spiritual uh, freedom, my Independence Day, it happened not because I had my name on a church roll. It happened not because I was baptized. It happened not because I knew the preacher or the preacher's kids. It happened not because I went to Bible school or Sunday school. It happened not because I wasn't as bad as some folks were. Listen to me. I I grew up in the church, basically. So, folks, because of growing up in the church, all I'd ever known was the church. So when a message was preached or the truth of the Bible was proclaimed, I would sit in the pew And I would agree with what was said. I gave mental assent to the truth as it was being spoken. The day I got saved, I want to tell you, it was not the result of mental assent. It was the result of spiritual appropriation. Simply put, I responded to what God said to my heart. That day, it moved from just head knowledge, folks, from spiritual, from mental assent in my head, to the acceptance of the truth of Jesus Christ 
into my heart. Notice 32 again. Jesus doesn't say that the truth sets people free. Notice his exact words. He said those who know the truth are set free. So the life that appropriates truth will also be a life that celebrates truth. Let me explain what I mean. Twice Jesus describes those who have never been set free as slaves, servants to sin. Uh, Verse 34, he says that. Verse 35, he says that. Uh, And the servant or the slave abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. Now, most biblical scholars believe that verse 35 is what's, what's known or what's called a parenthetical parable. And what it does, folks, it describes the contrast, the difference between a slave and a son. For instance, the slave, he doesn't have a permanent standing in the master's house. He's a slave. He can be sold to another master or given to somebody else at any moment. So he doesn't have a permanent place, a permanent standing in the home. The son is a totally different story. The son has a permanent place. You see, the son enjoys all the privileges of not just being a son, but also being a member of the family. Jesus is telling us that those who have been set free not only enjoy a liberated life, but they can celebrate life. They can celebrate because now they're no longer slaves. They're children. They're sons. Before my Independence Day, I was a slave, bound in chains, looking forward to nothing but a life in eternity of slavery. But thank God on my Independence Day, I became a child of God. See, as the verse 35, I no longer live in a slave's house. I moved into dad's house. I no longer had to be fed with the trash and the garbage that the world offers. Now I was eating as a prince at the king's table. Instead of enduring burdens of being sin slave, I'm enjoying the blessing of being one of God's children. As I mentioned earlier, on July 4, 1776, the Declaration of Independence was signed by those in attendance. But it wasn't until July 8th of 1776 that the Declaration of Independence was the public first public readings were held. And they were held in Independence Square. And as it was read, people celebrated. Again, bells rang out through the city. It was a time of celebration. So let me ask you something, friend. Are you free? Are you truly, really free? Is there a personal Independence Day on the calendar of your heart? Has there been a day when you were set free from the law of sin and death by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? Has there been that day and that time? Have you been set free from the penalty of sin? If you're saved, you have. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're free not only from the penalty of sin, you're free from the power of sin. Now, if you're a Christian and you're still bound in the prison of bitterness, anger, resentment, or lukewarmness, or whatever it may be, why are you bound there? You're free. Christian, you need to hear this. You are free. Appropriate that truth in your life. I don't know how clear I can make it. As a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're no longer a slave to sin. You've been set free from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So listen to me, Christian. If you're still bound by sin, it's because you choose to be bound by sin. Not because you have to be bound by sin. You're set free. Jesus has done that. There's a final thing I want you to notice. And that's freedom received. On March 23rd, 1775, there was a meeting of the colony of delegates. It was held at St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia. Resolutions were presented... And I quote, putting the colony of Virginia into a posture of defense, embodying 
arming and disciplining such a number of men as may be sufficient for that purpose. Now, before the vote was taken, you remember history, there was a red-headed farmer from Virginia who stood up and gave an impassioned speech, imploring the delegates to vote in favor of it. He spoke without notes. He spoke in a voice that was clear and became louder and louder, climaxing with that now famous ending. Now, following Patrick Henry's speech, a vote was taken, and the resolution passed with a narrow margin, Virginia joined the American Revolution. Patrick Henry's words are forever remembered. He says, gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears a clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is, that, what is it that gentlemen wish? Why, well, what would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Listen to me, folks. Understand, in this passage we've been looking at today, Jesus speaks of complete and total freedom. Complete, total liberty. And I'm going to drive this point home. There's actually only two choices, spiritually speaking, either liberty or death. Liberty or death. Say, why would you say that? I don't. God's word does. Bible says, a soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. The Bible says when sin is finished, it brings forth death. Look at verse 36 again. Jesus used the words free indeed. That actually means really, truly free. Now you know where the title comes from. So do you want to be really, truly free? Then let me remind you, friend, Jesus is the only person who can give that freedom. He's the only one. Verse 36, if the Son, therefore, shall make you free. <clears throat> if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. In other words, it's Jesus and Jesus alone that sets people free from the burden, the bondage, the penalty, and the power of sin. Let me make it real clear, folks. Southside Baptist Church is not going to set you free. The Southern Baptist Convention is not going to set you free. Pastor Jim Reed is not going to set you free. There's no denomination, affiliation, or participation that can set you free. You cannot light enough candles to be set free. You can't say enough prayers to be set free. You can't twirl enough beads to be set free. There's no social program. There's nothing on the face of the earth that you can do to set you free, friend. Freedom is not found in a program or a process. It's found in a person. Freedom is not found in a plan. It's in a man. The man, Christ Jesus. Freedom. Now, the reason Jesus is a person of freedom is because he alone has the power of freedom. 32 again, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Verse 36, if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Now, actually, verses 31 and 32 refer to the fact that Jesus is represented as the Word of God. Verse uh, 36, Jesus is the Son of God. And then again, verse 32, it talks about the truth. Not a truth, the truth. Let me go ahead and say this while I'm here. I want you to consider the fact. If we proclaim our message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as a truth, we're never going to face any resistance. That's okay. You can do that if he's a truth. But I'm going to tell you, when we proclaim it as it is, that it is the truth. 
the one and only truth, then be for sure we're going to have resistance. We're going to be marked. People are going to get mad. They're going to get upset. We're going to be shouted down and ridiculed. We're going to be caricatured as Bible-thumping, narrow-minded bigots by the cultural elite of the day. I'm going to tell you something, folks. When a person stands on the Word of God and they demand decency in the public arena, they're going to be maligned today. They're going to be called crazy right-wing conservatives. Well, I say that to say this. I don't care. I can live with me calling that, and I'm not going to hang my head for it. There's one truth. You know one of the reasons churches are dying today? Because they have refused to stand on the fact there is one truth. That's Jesus Christ. There's one way. That's Jesus Christ. There's one true life. That's Jesus Christ. You want, you want your life to be different? You can try all these programs. You can try religion. You can try positive thinking. You can try all these other things. But if you miss out on Jesus Christ, nothing's going to change. And your eternity's not going to change. Let me make it as clear as I possibly can. Real freedom does not come from experiencing a truth. It does not come from our own subjective reality of truth. Real freedom, folks. And let me say, we should never apologize or feel like we have to apologize for speaking the truth. And I'll tell you something makes me so mad is to hear Christians want to back up and crawfish when they make a statement about the truth of the gospel about Jesus Christ and somebody calls them on it. This is still America. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, we still have freedom that others in the world do not have. But if we fail to take advantage of it, we ain't going to have it very much longer. And I don't know, I don't understand. I've, I've told you this before, folks. All truth is narrow. You agree with that? All truth. I mean, I, I believe it is. Scientifically speaking, scientific truth is narrow. Water freezes at 32 degrees. Mathematical truth is, is narrow, or I, I guess it is. I never took much math, but I do know that 2 plus 2 is 4. I'll tell you, historical truth is narrow. John Wilkes Booth actually did shoot President Lincoln in the 48. Now, with all other truth being narrow and us accepting the fact that all that other truth is narrow, what the world makes us think that theological truth is not narrow? Listen to what Jesus himself said. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know about you, but that's pretty narrow. Matter of fact, I believe it's impossible to be any more narrow and dogmatic and exclusive than that. You know what Jesus is saying? Real simple, folks. That he's saying Buddha's not going to set you free. Muhammad and Allah, they ain't going to set you free. Pope, not going to set you free. Uh, religion and positive thinking and, and, and all these other things not going to set you free. Jesus is the only person qualified because he's the only one who has the power to set you free. To set you truly, really and truly free. Verse 36, that the Son, therefore, shall set you free. Shall make you free. You should be free indeed. Sin may be a burden. I'm going to tell you again, Jesus is a burden bearer. It may be a bondage. Jesus is the one that breaks that yoke and that bondage. Uh, you know, sin, it, it, it may blind you. But praise God, Jesus can move, remove those scales from your eyes because he is the light of the world. <clears throat> sin can entrap and snare and enslave you, but he's the great emancipator. So let me just ask you, friend, are you tired 
of living in spiritual slavery? Are you tired of struggling with the same old hang-ups and habits and sins? Then today, let Jesus set you free. Many of you probably have heard this true story before. I think I've told it before. A guy by the name of George Wilson in 1829 in Pennsylvania. <clears throat> he was sentenced for robbery and murder, and he was sentenced to die by hanging. But President Andrew Jackson pardoned him. Well, they brought his pardon to the prison. He said, nope, don't want it. I'm guilty. I deserve to die. Well, the U.S. courts found themselves in a dilemma. Who in the right mind would refuse a pardon when they're facing the gallows? But they didn't know what to do. They discussed it, talked about it. It got all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. And Chief Justice John Marshall said this. He gave the following decision. A pardon is a piece of paper, the value of which depends upon its acceptance by the person implicated. It's hardly supposed that one under a sentence of death would refuse to accept a pardon. But if it is refused, it is no pardon. Therefore, George Wilson must be hanged. And George Wilson was hanged. Now, think about how tragic. A man's pardon, signed, sealed, and delivered, but to no avail. George Wilson would rather have died than to be a free man. Now, let me say this. Every lost soul, every person who has not given their life to Jesus Christ, and if you're here today <clears throat> and you don't know Jesus Christ, you know about him, you have that mental knowledge, and you give mental assent, but you don't have that heart appropriation, then you're a George Wilson, friend. Your pardon signed, sealed, and delivered, yet every time that you reject it, that noose of sin is becoming tighter and tighter, and the cords of sin are hanging you. A lot of Christians have been set free from the penalty of sin, but again, they're being hanged by the power of sin. They've been given a pardon by the will and the work of Jesus Christ and a promise by the word of God, but they're still living on death row. Why? Because they failed to appropriate the truth that Jesus really has totally, really has truly set them free completely. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live bound and blinded by sin. Friend, I, I, don't, I don't want to be ensnared and enslaved and entrapped. I'm not going to be the devil's puppet or toy. And I'm not going to live on the trash and the garbage that the world and the devil wants to feed me when I am a prince and I can, I can feast on heavenly manna. I'm not going to live out in the gutter like an orphan. I'm a joint heir with Jesus and a child of the king. Are you really truly free? Not unless you know and have surrendered your all to Jesus Christ. Verse one more time, because if the Son therefore shall make you free, you should be free indeed. Only through Jesus Christ are you really, truly free. And I hope you are. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, I thank you for your grace, for the freedom that you have made available for us. For the fact that through Jesus Christ, we can really, truly be free. Completely, totally free. I pray for those here today who need to experience that freedom. 
I pray for those here today who have been set free from the penalty of sin, but they're still bound by the power of sin. God, I pray that the, the scales would fall from the eyes of their heart and they would see you. And I pray they would appropriate the truth that we are totally, completely set free because of Jesus Christ. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your patience with us. Father, I pray for those that need to make a decision today that they would make it. For your glory, for your honor, in Christ's name, amen. Can you stand, please?